Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Deeper Still, a podcast where we carve out space for meaningful conversation about God and life as we seek to pay attention to the ways God calls us to go deeper still in relationship with Him and with one another. My name is Sue Ann Canfield. I have the joy of being the host of this podcast, and I'm so glad you chose to join us today. Well, my friends, I don't know about you, but I don't know where the time has gone. I cannot believe that fall is gone. Thanksgiving is behind us. It's the first week of December, and we are talking about Christmas. (laughs) We're not just talking about Christmas, but we're doing all the Christmassy things. I know many of you have put your trees up. Um, My tree is not up. Confession, I'm hoping it will be soon. But trees are up. I've received Christmas cards in the mails from friends. I've worn a Santa hat, I've gone to Christmas party, Amazon packages are coming to the door. It's full on Christmas. It's full on Christmas. But I confess my soul is lagging a little bit behind. I don't feel like it's Christmas yet. And so I need some focus. I need a little more depth and meaning to point me towards the cross this Advent season. And so that's what today's episode is all about. Today on Deeper Still, I am so excited to welcome a longtime mentor, a friend. I have been a fan from a distance. She is a well-known author, speaker, podcast host, Elisa Morgan. For 20 years, Elisa served as the CEO of Mops International, Mothers of Preschoolers. We have a thriving Mothers of Preschoolers ministry here at our church, so we are big fans of Elisa. She now actually serves as the President Emerita of Mops. She speaks internationally. She writes for Our Daily Bread. Uh, She co-hosts Discover the Word Radio, as well as the podcast God Hears Her. Elisa has authored more than 25 books, including The Beauty of Broken, Hello, Beautiful, She Did What She Could, and so many more. But her newest book, which we'll be talking about today, is Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. Elisa and her husband of more than 40 years, Evan, have two grown children and two grandchildren with one more on the way, and they live in Denver, Colorado. I am so excited to welcome Elisa to the podcast today. And so my friends, whatever you're doing, wherever you find yourself, saddle up, settle in, and listen in as Elisa and I go deeper still. Alisa Morgan, welcome to Deeper Still. It is so good to have you here today, my friend. Oh, Sue Ann, we go way back, so it's really cool to reconnect. Yeah. We do. You know, I confess to you that you have been, um, I mean, you've just been a mentor, uh, just a wonderful person of influence, both from a distance and in my own life. And when I started this podcast during COVID, you were, I made a list of like my wannabe, kind of my like hopeful who I could have on the podcast. <laughs> and you were it. on my initial list. And I'm just to see you here now and to hear your voice. Uh, I'm so excited. What a gift and a privilege it is to have you here today. Thank you. We worked together years ago, and I've always, I've always loved our teaming. So, yay for more teaming right now. This is awesome. That's right. And you, you know, that's one of the things I've admired about you when I, when I did work alongside of you is that you always surround yourself with other people. I mean, you're just a team-oriented person who um, just you have your tribe of people, and and you build other people up, and empower, and encourage, and equip, and you just know that ministry and life is not meant to do alone. And so, mm-hmm. I just I love that about you. Amen. Yeah, yeah. It's too hard. Life is just way too hard to do it all by ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. 
Amen to that for sure. Um, well, Elisa, we're here today to talk about your new book, which I'm incredibly excited about. Christmas changes everything. I'm actually looking at a copy of it right now. The cover is beautiful. I have to say that to you. Whoever designed this cover, um, shout out to them. <laughs> oh, it's absolutely stunning. It's just what a beautiful book to put on your coffee table. Um, and after you read it, of course, because it has so much mm-hmm. good stuff in it, but it's beautiful. But before we dive into the book, I was thinking about the fact that here we are. I don't feel Christmassy at all yet. I, I'm like not, I've realized like we're talking about Christmas. I'm not there yet. So I'm wondering if you could help get us in the, the Christmas spirit and share a little bit about what does Christmas look like for you out in Colorado? Have you done anything to prepare for Advent, to decorate your house? What, get us in the I Christmas could, mood this I morning. I just threaten you by how many days are left. <laughs> and that would That's get horrible. you moving. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? We're I'm a sicko when it comes to Christmas. So, like, truly, the day after Thanksgiving, it's time to put up the tree, you know, and, and off I'm go. I'm just like little bunny. In fact, uh, on December the first, off to the post office with out of town gifts, and you know, it's just that's that's how I roll. But wait, you know, for you've, those- you've already <laughs> put gifts in the mail for Christmas well, to out of town guests. Yeah, well, we're getting there. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Well, here it is. It's all about me. I like to get to the place where I can enjoy. I like mm-hmm. to get my work done out of the way. I like to get the the real heavy lifting of Christmas done so that I can chill and watch a Hallmark movie and say yes to invitations and, you know, that kind of fun stuff. But, you know, for me, I look back at Christmas and I have always loved it. You know, I grew up, grew up in kind of a messy family, but the one thing my mom always did right was Christmas. She always mm-hmm. did it right. And and I remember cranberry bread and my black cocker spaniel with a big red velvet bow around his neck. And I remember my grandparents driving down to see us in their huge Oldsmobile. And I remember Andy <laughs> Williams on the stereo and the Grinch that stole Christmas and Frosty the Snowman. I loved Christmas. But here's the thing, Sue Ann, and you know, think about this with me. When Christmas really becomes Christmas, it changes everything. You know, has has Christmas become more than stockings and Santa and family and, you know, carols and that kind of stuff? And when it does, everything shifts. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Elisa, talk a little bit more about that because um, you describe, you know, Christmas became Christmas for you over a period of time. You know, you went from that, those beautiful nostalgic memories you talk about growing up as a kid. And at some point, though, it started to shift when Christmas really became Christmas for you. And you talk about that a little bit in your book. What did, what did that look like for you? Uh, you know, I, I think the process of coming to know God is so personal, you know, so unique. We, we like to make it formulaic, you know, say this prayer and then boom, you're in the kingdom. But the reality is that God woos us, all of us, from the time we're little bitties. And sometimes we hear him and sometimes we don't. And sometimes other things in our lives that are painful block out his voice. Um, Sometimes other beliefs confuse us or distract us from his truth. But the process of coming to know him for me was when I was a really young child, I knew he was wooing me. My my mom, single mom, would drop us off at church every Sunday morning. And we didn't know what to do, my older sister and I, so we joined the adult choir. And they didn't know what to do with us. So they hemmed up uh, burgundy robes and creamy satin stoles and put us in alto and soprano and... (laughs) 
we we sang our little hearts out to whoever this God was. And, and you know, then I remember, I remember kind of slowly being wooed to God. I remember when I was in um, my early teens walking down the hall at church and there was this display of kind of old-timey portrait plates of the disciples at the end of the hall and Jesus in the middle. And I really sensed him drawing me forward into his what seemed to be holy presence. I didn't understand it. But then it was when I was a, a teenager that another youth group unpacked what we call the gospel, unpacked what God did to really rescue us from ourselves in the death of Jesus. And, you know, so when I look at Christmas, when it became Christmas for me, it was a process, the way you just described that, uh, Susan, Susan. But I think for me, Christmas really became Christmas when Easter became Easter. You know, I, I knew that this was a baby Jesus and I thought it was super cool, but I hadn't really connected that he grew up and that he had this miraculous earthly ministry that God himself scrunched himself into a, a man born out of a woman's womb who suffered and died on a cross for mm -hmm. us so that I could have a release and a rescue from my messy life. Whoa, that I didn't have to do life alone. When I understood Easter, Christmas became Christmas. Mm. That's so powerful. And, you know, I, I feel the same. It's it's uh, the church that I serve at now where we're recording this podcast from, uh, we do Lent. And I didn't grow up, you know, I, I grew up as a priester. So we did Christmas and Easter. You know, I went to Sunday school off and on. But um, it wasn't until I started dating my husband that I, I realized that people actually go to church every single Sunday. You know, like I, I was like, wait a minute, you do this, you do this every week? Like this is a thing for people. And so for me, church. Wow. Right. Right. How do you know all these songs they're singing? How do you know what to do? You know, and, and I always believed I always had a faith, but exactly what you're saying. It's, it's been a process for me and the church I'm at now, we, we dive deep into Lent and Lent has become one of my favorite seasons of the year. Mm. And the more meaningful Lent has become for me, the more meaningful Advent has become for me. Because you know what's coming. It's like when your kids are little, you don't know all that's coming. And now I, you know, I have college students and I look back and I think, you know, when you were teeny, I didn't know how much I would love you. I didn't know how, how, how much, you know, my heart would be invested in you. But now looking back, I can see it. And I feel like pairing up Advent and Lent or Easter and Christmas, it, it kind of has that effect. That's a great, great, there's probably no mistake that they both have ant in them, <laughs> Lent and Advent. You know, there's something connected there. It is the season, Advent is the season of anticipating the, the coming of Jesus the baby. And Lent is the season of really focusing in on the death of Christ mm -hmm. and his sacrifices for us. Beautiful. Yeah. They, they go together and, you know, our world separates them with Santa and the Easter bunny, you know, times of the <laughs> right. year. And <laughs> that's, that's right. But when you understand the full story, um, you know, it, it, it does make just a different picture. And I think when we, when we do that every year, it just gets a little more, a little deeper and a little more meaningful. So I, I appreciate you pointing that out. I know I, I told you before we started recording, I heard a sermon you did last weekend. And when you said Christmas didn't become Christmas till Easter became Easter, I like goosebumps all over. Everyone's amen. In, and I was like, yes, that is, that is the truth of that statement is so powerful and so good. So yeah. I yeah. appreciate that. 
Well, Elisa, you, uh, in this beautiful book, you lay out nine characters of the Christmas story. And you really do take a take a minute in each of their stories. You, you say it's like... Um, kind of peeking through, right, a peephole on a fence. Uh, you know, all of them have different ways they're looking at the story, but they all create this beautiful picture. And for each and every character, Christmas changed everything. You know, mm-hmm. Jesus entered their world and it, it literally changed everything. And so I would love to hear, we're not going to have time to go through all nine characters. I wish we could, but I thought we could um, start with Mary. And I almost didn't want to start with Mary because I thought, oh, everyone knows Mary's story. Like it, it just kind of glossed over it. But Wow, shame on us for glossing over ever Mary's story because it's it's so amazing. And so lead us a little bit into Mary's story and how Christmas changed everything for her. Absolutely. You know, when the first question we want to ask is who is Mary? And then we'll ask how did Christmas change Mary? But Mary, and this is really important to start off with, uh, Luke is the one who really tells Mary's story. And commentators believe that Mary is actually the source for Luke's gospel. So just like Peter was pretty much the source for Mark's gospel, Mary is the source for Luke's gospel. And it's interesting that Luke has such an emphasis on women in his writing. He talks more about women than any other gospel writer. Mm -hmm. And Mary is the most talked about woman, you know, in, in scripture. You know, she's probably the most influential woman of all history, if you think about it, Mary. She, we start out in Luke chapter one, we find out she was, she was a virgin and she was betrothed. And that whole, that whole thing means that her marriage hadn't been consummated. So in, in New Testament times, there were three stages to marriage. There was the betrothal, which lasted about a year where the couple was engaged. And then there was the ceremony. And then there was the consummation, the actual marriage. Uh, was that whole process. And it was as legally binding as our modern day marriage would be. It could only be dissolved through divorce. And having sex outside of marriage was grounds for divorce. So here's Mary. And in, in New Testament times, again, it's usually a girl in her puberty years, usually or even as young as 12, who would become betrothed. Very young girl. And the angel shows up to her and calls her highly favored. And she just wonders what kind of greeting this is. Mary was a Jewess, so she knew the law. She knew God. She was connected. She knew the promise of the Messiah. Now, everybody knew the promise of the Messiah, but she'd never dreamed that this would come to her. So as Gabriel talks to her, he comforts her first off, which I love. And he says, don't be afraid, which is so beautiful because, you know, when you're afraid, you can't hear anything, but just this kind of earbuds, you know, this white noise in your head comforts her. And then he lays it out. What's going to happen? And he says, you're going to conceive through the Holy Spirit. He's going to overshadow you, which is a really complex term, but it, it means just that overshadow. And the same term is used of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, where he's transfigured, you know, before Peter and James and John. And he goes on and explains that this isn't impossible. It seems like it's impossible, but take a look at your your relative Elizabeth, who's so old, and yet she's been given the promise of a child and she's already in her six months. So if that can happen, this can happen. And then he says, for the word of God will never fail. And Mary just goes, how can this be? And I love her question. It's such an honest curious question, but here's the point. It's not a question of doubt. We'll see with Zechariah that he did doubt. He disbelieved. 
Mary isn't doubting. She's curious and a little confused and kind of God struck, if you will. How are you going to accomplish this? And she goes on once he explains everything to her, she's obedient and she goes, boy, okay, may it be to God, you know, just, just as he says, all righty then. Wow. And you know, to, to actually take in for a 12 or 13 year old girl to have that experience to, um, and be willing to accept. And that's Mary's journey is a journey of acceptance, right? She's, she's accepting what God is um, promising her, what he's doing in her life, what he has for her, even though it is scary and overwhelming. She's willing to say yes to God in this moment, which is, which is really unbelievable if you think about it. It really is. And, and we back away from her and think, um, how did she say yes? And that word accept is the one. Um, she accepted God's invitation. She began the day as a 12-year-old virgin betrothed to a, a young man and ended the day with the Son of God growing in her womb. I mean, that's radical. you know. But I look at her and it's really tempting to holyize her, if you will, if that's a word, you know, to make her, to deify her, to think, well, she's has this really unusual trust, or she was just stunningly obedient, or she was stronger than the rest of us. But, you know, Luke gives us a clue as to how she said yes, later in his gospel. In chapter two, verse 19, the shepherds had just come to see Jesus and greet him after they had been encountered by the divine in angelic form as well. And then they go out to tell everybody. And Mary, Luke tells us, treasures up these things and stores them in her heart. And she ponders them. And then in Luke 2.51, after Mary and Joseph are looking for the missing Jesus, who's gone off to learn from the rabbis in Jerusalem, and they find him, Luke tells us again that Mary treasured these things in her heart and, and uh, pondered them. And to treasure is to store up. And I, I have this picture of her like writing down every detail like you would in a baby book, you know, to get the mm. date, and what happened and first step and first word. And then to ponder means to consider, to, to lay aside each other. So, so if Mary was treasuring up each moment with Jesus, his conception, his birth, his toddler years, off with the rabbis, onto his earthly ministry. She she would then gather those up in her mind in a kind of a bundle in her heart. And then every now and then, probably when she wondered, you know, probably when she struggled, she would review, oh, look at all God's done. She treasured and pondered these things. I think she layered her yeses, you know, and and we do too. You know, if, if we look at Christmas changed Mary then how can, if it changed Mary, how can it change us? And honestly, Suzanne, I look at my life and I think my yeses to God have been layered. You know, I, I said yes as a, as a child to responding to that wooing that we were talking about and then to knowing more and then to finally giving my life over to God. And then when I sensed him calling me further into ministry, I said yes to moving to Denver to go to seminary. And I said yes to marrying my husband. And in doing that, because we knew we couldn't have children biologically, I said yes to the option mm. of adoption, which meant then later waiting, saying yes to a long, long wait. And then when I had my children, saying yes to who they would become and how God would write their story in their lives. You know, it just goes on and on. Yes to leadership, yes to 
moving out of leadership for the next generation. It's a layering at a time. And, and I think when we look at these stories, these characters in the Christmas story, it's super easy to, to make them two-dimensional, just flannel flannel graph, cut out people that you, you know, you look at in a veggie tales or you put on a, a board in your Sunday school room and miss the fact that they're full dimensional human beings, just like us who mm. were changed by the first Christmas. And as we look at how they were changed, we can see how we can be changed too. That's so good. So good, Elisa. And I, I love that you say, um, Mary leaned into, she said yes to what she understood And she leaned into what she didn't understand, that that was part of her obedience, that she didn't always know. We don't always know the plan, but we just say yes one step at a time. And I think that layering, layering our yeses, that our lives are layers of obedience to God. What I mean, that's something I've never thought of in conjunction with Mary's story. And Mm. it's so powerful and so true. Well, she's the only human we see alongside Jesus for his entire life. And then Mm -hmm. after his death, even at his resurrection, and then even in Acts chapter one, there with the founding of the church, it's, I mean, what she experienced from the time she was 12 on to when she was put under the apostle John's care by Jesus from the cross, and then helping with the other Marys and the other women establish the church she really had a lifelong history of obedience and it becomes a template for us to look at. You don't see her ever pulling away. You see her questioning, wait, you know, you're here, do this miracle in Cana. Wait, you're here, let me in, you know, knocking at the door and Jesus goes, who's my mother and who who are my brothers? You know, you see her on and on interacting with Jesus, processing who he is. And and what you just said, Suanne, is, is great, is that, you know, we don't understand all of who God is when we come to know him. You know, Christianity and the process of knowing Jesus is just that. It's a process. And we give what we know of ourselves to what we know of God. And then as we discover more about ourselves and more about God, we can give more and more and receive more. Such a great invitation. So good. All right. We could cut keep- keep talking about Mary all day long, but I'm, I I know we got lots of other things to talk about. So good. Let's talk about Joseph. Uh, Again, easy story to skip over because we feel like we know it, but um, the chapter on Joseph in your book, you say Joseph's journey is about yielding. If Mary's is about accepting, Joseph's is about yielding. Say a little bit more about that. Tell us about Joseph's story. Yeah, yielding is such a tough word, isn't it? I want my way. I think I know what's best. Okay, so Joseph is about 18 years old when the angel comes to him. And the first thing that happens is that we're told, and this is in Matthew chapter one, we're told that Joseph comes from the Davidic line. And hang on to that because there is this promise, this messianic prophecy promise that sets the stage for Joseph's story. And I imagine then as Joseph begins to process, he's leaning heavily on that messianic prophecy. So anyway, he's he's a young man. He's from the line of David. And then we're told that he is told that Mary, his betrothed, is with child and that he makes a plan to divorce her quietly. There's a lot packed into that. Um, again, um, any kind of adultery is a serious matter and has to be dealt with by the law. Scripture also tells us that 
that Joseph was a just man. And some translations say he was righteous and in right standing with God. But I picture him as being a man of integrity. So he is devout and he's going to want to follow the law. If it if it requires consequences for Mary and for himself, he's going to want to do it, but he doesn't want to hurt her. Uh, in New Testament times, like in Egypt, the consequences for adultery were to cut off your nose. In Persia, it was to cut off your nose and one of your ears. In Israel, the consequences were to stone the person to death from Deuteronomy. So Joseph is caught in a very difficult place. Add to that, the reality is that as he's given this news, his world falls and breaks. He's imagining, he wakes in the morning, imagining Mary coming to him as a pure wife. And they're in this season of betrothal before the ceremony, before the consummation. And suddenly he's told that his wife-to-be is with child. And he knows he hasn't had relations with her. What? And and I, I think we need to really sit there with him. Joseph is a man with broken dreams. Mm-hmm. Everything he's imagined in his devoutness to God crumbles before him. And then as the angel continues, he does what what he did with Mary. He says, don't be afraid. Joseph took the time to consider. He was thoughtful. He he really prayed about how do I find a win-win here so that God is honored by consequences for the lot, but my betrothed is not dishonored. And he makes this plan to divorce her quietly. And that's when the angel intervenes and says, don't be afraid. And he gives him instructions. Take her to be your wife. Don't have relationships with her until after the son is born. Incidentally, his name will be Jesus. God saves and name him that. And sure enough, the baby's born and Joseph names him Jesus. And the significance of that is that when in those times you named a child, it was the equivalent to adopting that child as your very son. So Joseph yields to God's best. He wakes up one morning thinking he's going to have his dream marriage, finds out his wife-to-be is pregnant by someone, not, not him. He yields to those broken dreams. And at the end of the day, he becomes the stepfather of God mm. and the husband and the partner to the mother of God. Mm. You know, Elisa, just listening to you, I just imagine there are people listening to this who can really identify with Joseph's story, that they're in a place of of looking at their life and saying, this is not how I thought, this is not how it was supposed to be, you know, and maybe that's a, a picture of their life. Maybe that's circumstances that they're just facing right now, that they're dealing with some kind of loss, some kind of brokenness, some kind of shattered dreams that this Christmas is not going to be what they thought it would be. And what can we learn from Joseph's story that can encourage us as as he yields and as we see God enter his story? What would you say to people listening who are feeling that place of just broken dreams and being shattered? I think most of us um, have been fed the mythology that when we give our lives to God, it's all going to be easy and sugar plum fairies and glitter coated. And the reality is it's not and it never has been. I mean, we live in a broken world. And when we know God, it doesn't mean that we are delivered out of brokenness on this planet. It means we have a solution to brokenness. And it means that 
we can embrace a God who loves the broken and who restores the broken. I mean, the reality is, is God's family fell and broke pretty much after he finished breathing life into it. I mean, it just the second it was created, it fell and it broke. The first family was a family that was divorced from the heart of God. It chose their way over his way. And ever since the garden, ever since creation, God has been about the business of restoration, creating a plan where his love for we broken people (laughs) and his careful plan and usage of us would be revealed by the broken life and body of his son on the cross for us. You know, and it seems like God reminds me of this every Christmas in some way. I I can remember scant Christmases where we didn't have enough money as in our single mom family to really celebrate. And I can remember a Christmas when my mom called and I was grown and let me know she had a terminal diagnosis. I can remember waiting for children through adoption at Christmas. I remember not too long ago, a, a Christmas when our whole family and grandchild had gathered on Christmas Eve to celebrate and we were just thick into it all. About 9 p.m., the doorbell rang and my grandson's birth father was at the door to pick him up for his time. And we had misread the parenting plan. And we were stunned and heartbroken, but we needed to let him leave. And, you know, even in those moments, it's so difficult to understand, but to yield to God's love for us, that he can make the broken beautiful, that that, that the, his promises and his plans for us and his purposes for us, just like with Joseph, will be defeated as we cooperate with him. We can trust in that and see the good that can come from it. Yeah, and I love some of the imagery you paint with that, where you say, you know, if our if our family or our life or our dream is that broken dish that falls on the floor, that God doesn't sweep it away. He doesn't put it in the corner and sweep it up with the dustpan and throw throw it away. He restores it. That no one, no situation, no circumstance, no person is out of God's reach to restore, to redeem, to to bring the good things that He has for them. And I I just love that imagery. It's so powerful. Yeah, and to keep hoping, you know, it's it's really tough when you have dreams for your life, for your family's life, for your parents, for whoever you love, and they look as if they're not interested. <laughs> it just looks that way, mm-hmm. or even if they're kicking and screaming against them. But, you know, it, it's never too late. It is never too late, and no one is ever beyond God's reach. And Christmas mm-hmm. is the time to remember that. That's right. And I I have no doubt there are people out there that needed to hear just that sentence today. So thanks for thanks for saying that. Alisa, mm. in the story of Zechariah, one of the lines that caught me in his story that you asked the reader is, have you ever missed Christmas? <laughs> have you ever just felt like you missed it? And I have to confess, I read that and I thought, wow, that happens to me like every year because every year I I go into the season thinking I'm going to slow down. I'm going to be more organized. I'm not going to rush. I'm going to be present. I'm going to minimize, simplify. And every year it feels like I get to December 31st and I go, what just happened? And then I lament. I'm sad because I feel like I didn't fully enter Christmas the way I wanted to. Help me. (laughs) Help me learn from Zechariah's story. The first thing I hear is another ent word. So we've got Advent, Lament, and Lent. <laughs> <They all laughs> You're trying to teach me something today. 
That's great. Oh gosh. Yes. Have you ever missed Christmas? And I, I remember a couple of years. I remember one when my, my mom thought it'd be really cool to take my teenage sister and myself and my younger brother to the beach for Christmas. And we just were like, this is just weird. You know, we, we sat in the 80 degrees on lawn chairs with no Christmas tree, just going, no, this is not right. And we felt like we'd missed Christmas. And then I remember another year as a young mom, I had got the flu, you know, and I basically got Christmas put together, but I went to bed for the whole thing. And I, Zechariah almost missed Christmas in terms of, you know, he goes into the temple his one day, really, as you do the math, in his life that he gets to make a sacrifice as a priest on behalf of the people. And God meets him there and tells him that he's going to become a father. And he's well advanced in his years without an heir, no one of the Levite line to take on the priesthood. And he just, bottom line, thinks that's ridiculous. that <laughs> God could have Elizabeth, his elderly wife, pregnant. And, and it's it's a little bit chilling to read the the exchange he has with the angel who's giving the message from God, because it's very strong because you don't believe you're going to be dumb until stuck, dumb, unable to speak mute until um, the baby is born and you're going to name him John and et cetera. And, you know, you read Elizabeth's story and she gets to have all the joy and the greatness, but he's silenced because mm. he disbelieved, you know, the, the, there are some women listening right now that think that doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> I like that. I get that to happen in my life. Sorry, I I interrupt. (laughs) That's really good. That's really good. Yeah, good point. And she spent a lot of time with Mary, so there is that too, which we need each other in those in those years. But bottom line, sweet little Zechariah in the end does believe. And um, you know what? What led me to it is the reason he didn't believe. It's not because he was sick or because he was taken to the beach. You know, he didn't believe because he had a warped view of God. He had listened to the lies that you're too old. It ain't going to happen. God's not big enough. He can't do for you what you want. He's punishing you. Whatever. You fill in the blank. One of my friends who has cancer and she's actually a 15-year survivor now, but 15 years ago during the diagnosis, someone gave her a, a little plaque of a word that said believe, and she put it in her kitchen and she just caught her attention. One day she was doing the dishes and she looked up at it and she noticed that in the word believe, picture it in your mind right now, B-E-L-I-E-V-E, in the middle of that word believe is the word lie. Mm. Isn't that stunning? Stunning. And she came away from that going, that is exactly how it is. You know, God asks us to believe, to trust, to believe in his character, not believe he's some kind of a genie that we can rub the right way and get what we want, to believe he's good and he's for our good, that he wastes nothing, that he, he didn't come to condemn us, but to save us. Okay. And therefore, we need to acknowledge where are those lies? Where are the lies that we have slipped into holding on to instead of believing? And Zechariah shows us that. And he too was changed by Christmas. You know, he began this, this season believing the lie. But in the end, when his son John, who we call John the Baptist, is born, he gives him the name John and his speech is restored and he sees God full circle. 
One of my favorite things that you point out about Zechariah's story is the the paradox of the way that he he believed and he doubted at the same time. And you say we can pray with belief for what we know God can do and at the same time begin to forget God's faithfulness. We can doubt God's character and slip over into disbelief. And I thought, how true, even that story about Carol and the and the um that the the words the lie right in the little believe we do believe we do have faith so many times and yet we can still b- slip into that unbelief but the beautiful thing about Zachariah that you point us to is that he wholeheartedly stepped into his story he he was willing to accept in the midst of his doubt and i just think that's another just wonderful invitation and reminder for us as we move into this advent season that our lives might not look right now the way we think or that we hoped or we are believing a lie but in the midst of that we can also lean into the truth of who god is Hmm. so good so good and if you're going to take anything away from this conversation all you guys who are listening and us two together here sue ann is that uh, Christmas can be a reorienting time. It really can. It, it tends to be disorienting, but it can be a reorienting mm-hmm. time. And the the two change points I, I suggest, the two Christmas change points are, are to immerse yourself in these nine characters. You know, if you can do it through the book, you can read two chapters a week or just dive through the whole thing or just get out your Bible and start reading their stories. But the other change point is to intentionally throw out the welcome mat for Jesus mm-hmm. this Christmas. And I, I like that metaphor, that visual, you know, because we spend so much time decorating our homes, our Christmas tree, the outside of our home. You know, we we would always put up snowmen, mom and papa and babies and all that stuff, snowmen. And I would put out a welcome mat, a Christmas welcome mat. And it's gotten me thinking, do I mean it? Do I really mean welcome? And who am I welcoming here? In, in Mark 9, um, Jesus uses the word welcome to describe how the disciples and others can relate to him. And he pulls kids up onto his lap and he says, welcome them and you'll welcome me. Basically, whoever welcomes me welcomes my father. And that word is really to receive as a guest, to be hospitable towards, to invite Jesus into the hearth of your heart, pour him something warm to drink and spend some time with him, but then even maybe further to invite him to actually make his home there and you make your home with him there. You know, that's that's really what Christmas is about. You know, God giving his son to be in relationship with us, mm-hmm. to heal us and to give us hope. Yeah, amen. And I love that welcoming Christmas is going to look different for all of us, right? Mm-hmm. Just like these nine characters, they all had a different story. They had a different vantage point. And so it's going to look different for what that means for each and every person. I know, you know, for Elizabeth, your word for her is rejoice. The shepherds is share. Simeon was waiting. For him, welcome meant wait. Um, Anna, it was worship. And I, I love that you share about Anna that you know, she turned her daily routine into something that was so much more meaningful when she welcomed Jesus. And that really struck me for the Magi. It was they were seeking something. That's how they welcomed Christmas. They were seeking. And for Herod, I can't believe you threw Herod into this book. I was so shocked by that. But for Herod, Herod, I love that you say Herod was actually rejecting. He didn't He didn't want to welcome Christmas. And there's something to be learned from that. And, and so I just love that that you give us all these different ways to look at our lives, to to reflect on our journeys through these characters and say, how do I, how do I welcome Christmas this year? How do I let it change me? It's good stuff. 
good. Such good stuff. So, Alisa, we have um, a few more minutes left here in our time together. And um, before we before we wrap up a few things, there there is one question that I ask every person who comes on my podcast. And, you know, my podcast is called Deeper Still. And the reason it's called Deeper Still is because I really do live with a conviction and the belief. And maybe it's a reminder to myself that none of us have this all figured out, right? Maybe maybe last year our story was with Anna and this year our story needs to be with Mary. You know, we're welcoming different things. We're, see, we're in different parts of our journey. And, and mm-hmm. that's part of what I always want to get at it deeper still is just when we have it figured out or think we have it figured out, I should say, that God says, nope, not done with you. I'm never done with you. You're never done with the journey. Just when you think um, I've called you to go deeper, God says, I'm, I'm calling you actually to go deeper still in relationship with me and relationship with the people around you and relationship with what I want you to learn about the world and how you're experiencing it, how you're how you're being a witness to my love and grace. And so, Elisa, I'm wondering for you, and you feel free to share this through the lens of Advent and Christmas, or, or maybe it's a different piece of your life, but how how is God calling you in this season to go deeper still? Mm-hmm. I'm in a season of um, legacy is probably the best way to put it. I'm, I'm not that old, but I'm also older. I'm moving into the world of the elder circle, you know, of those who mentor, of those who relinquish power, authority, roles, um, et cetera. Hopefully some wisdom I can share. But in this season, I find so many opportunities to continue to grow and produce. You don't stop, but to relinquish being the center mm. of growth and productivity to relinquish um, how growth and productivity turn out. <laughs> and so I think what God's inviting me to grow deeper still in is a lot of relinquishment. Um, when we talk about older years, there is the season, you know, you go from founding your identity to, you know, establishing your voice and then, investment, you know, really building your life, you call it nesting or building. And the latter years are a season of divestment, where we share out, where we relinquish. And it it means, as well as making room for others, it means recognizing that it is God's story that is being written in the lives around me. And he isn't asking me to run in and add a few paragraphs or come up with the best ending. He's asking me to cheer them on with blessing and encourage and inspire that the next generations will be faithful. And so that that's kind of a lot to pack into a quick answer, but a season of legacy is where he has me. Mm. That's so helpful and so good. And I'm, I'm wondering, has that been a, a difficult journey for you? It was because I'm a three on the Enneagram and I'm like, well, <laughs> If I'm supposed to be relinquishing, what the poop am I creating, you know, and producing? Mm -hmm. Until I began to understand through some words like of Henry Nouwen, the productivity of the older years is fruitfulness. It's the character. And I began to go, oh, I am still supposed to produce, but it's more intangible production. Mm -hmm. It's more, I mean... I still write books and have podcasts and speak and blah, blah. Everybody's probably going, what are you talking about? But to, to, to run after that mm-hmm. is not my calling. My calling is to relinquish 
me to what God has me to do, whatever it looks like. And I know there are so many men and women and people in your own family and grandchildren that you you are doing that. You are you are building into, you are shaping, you are um, taking all that you are and who you are, pointing them to Jesus and shaping them so that not only you have that impact, but that legacy, that that impact is going to carry on for generations to come. And I know there's so many people listening today who have been impacted by your work, who have been impacted by what you do. And it, it's just beautiful to see you in a space of... Um, continuing that, you know, you're not stopping. You're just continuing to to soak up all God has created you to be and to do and to pour that into the next generation is just a beautiful thing to watch. So I say thank you for that. Mm, thank you, Sam. Thank you. Mm. Well, Lisa, any, any final words you want to share? Anything we didn't cover? Any words of encouragement? Any words of wisdom? Um, anything, words of welcome to Christmas that you want to share with our audience before we go today? I think just um, you can welcome amidst the world, you know, don't, don't freak out about, I didn't spend an hour and a half with God today. Yeah, well, I get it. You know, just welcome him amidst the world, you know, welcome him right into it. He's, he's right there. And uh, don't let those lies of you're not doing it right, hold you down. Uh, Grab the book if you can, Christmas Changes Everything. Connect with us on social, Lisa Morgan author or whatever. We're just here for you, okay? And Merry Christmas. Yes. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Elisa, to you and Evan and to your entire family. I know you have a grandchild on the way, probably not a Christmas baby, but that's exciting things that you're experiencing together. It is. It's great stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for being here. Blessings on you, your continued ministry. And I'll be praying for you as you uh, just welcome in your own Christmas this year. I hope it's, I hope it's everything and more that you hope it will be. Beautiful. Thanks, friend. Well, friends, thanks so much, as always, for joining us today. I don't know about you, but I needed that conversation. I needed that conversation to orient my heart towards Christmas and just be reminded of the goodness and the grace of God, the way that He is weaving together all of our stories for our good and to His glory. So I hope wherever you find yourself, whatever Christmas season looks like for you, maybe today or in the weeks to come, that God meets you exactly where you're at and reminds you of his presence and his goodness this day. If you want to find out more about Elisa and her ministry, visit elisamorgan.com. Be sure to follow her on Facebook and Instagram at Elisa Morgan Author. And of course, be sure to order your copy of Christmas Changes Everything, How the Birth of Jesus Brings Hope to the World. It really is a fabulous book. The chapters are short, but they are packed with just meaningful reflections that make it perfect Advent devotional reading. So buy it, share it, give it to a friend, um, but whatever you do, make sure you order your copy today. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Deeper Still on your favorite podcast platform or share Deeper Still with a friend. Uh, what are you waiting for? <laughs> Just do it. Help us spread the love. Help us spread the joy. Help us grow our audience and just get more and more people introduced uh, to people like Elisa. We want to get the word out. 
Well, we'll be back in two weeks with our last episode of Deeper Still. I can't believe it. Last episode for 2022, where I'll be welcoming two of my delightful colleagues, Tara Beth Leach and Charlie Browning, as we talk about our Advent sermon series here at Christ Church, which is just such a beautiful name. It's called A Thrill of Hope. A weary world rejoices. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I look around at the world around us and it feels a little dark and it feels a little chaotic. And I just need to be reminded of the light and hope of Christ. And so hope you'll come back and join us for that conversation. Join us for church. If you do not have a home, visit us at Christchurch.us. Stop by. We would love to meet you. But until then, till we come back again, go in God's grace. <laughs>